everyone. Thank you for joining us on the PQI podcast. This week, we sit down with Christine Path to discuss community oncology and her role on the Ohio Board of Pharmacy. Christine is a regional director of operations for American Oncology Network and a member of the Board of Pharmacy for the state of Ohio. All right. Well, thank you so much, Christine, for joining us on the PQI podcast today. To start out, will you please introduce yourself and tell us a little about your background and your current role? Sure. Yeah. Thanks for having me, Ginger. I'm happy to join you today. Um, my name is Christine Paff. I'm a registered pharmacist um, in Ohio. Um, my current role is uh, regional director of operations. Um, I work for the American Oncology Network and um, my current role includes kind of a mix between pharmacy and uh, operations management. Um, I work with three different clinics in Ohio and Michigan, and we serve community oncology patients um, here in our communities. Um, my background is a you know practicing pharmacist for um, ten or plus years, and then um, I moved into sort of a more operations and management role. Um, in the last few years. So it's been an interesting journey to go from just seeing like how the pharmacy operates and works to um, overseeing more parts of the practice. And um, it's been pretty fun to, to do that. So glad to be here. Awesome. Yes. I'm, I'm so glad to have you, especially because I've known you for quite a while. Uh, we've been been friends outside of outside of the pharmacy world, or I guess inside of the pharmacy <laughs> world at different things. And I just, you're one of the the women pharmacists that I look up to and have so much respect for and have watched kind of that journey from pharmacist to administration. It's been pretty, pretty cool. And then I know on the outside, you're pretty busy as well with two, two little ones who maybe aren't quite as little. Yeah, yeah, that's right. I've got two girls, one is 11 and one is 13, um, which I'm finding that teenager or teenager stage is like repeating them being small children so um I love it but I also think it is so it's crazy to think they're they're bigger than me but I'm like they are wow <laughs> it's tough, so. so yes that that is super fun though a working uh, pharmacist mom is is uh kind of I guess my uh, stereotype so I like it I love it I love it setting a good example for those girls and All I'll right. need to talk to you in just a few years with, with my girl. So. Yes. And then how has the transition been from pharmacist to practice administrator? Oh, okay. Um, it's been interesting. I mean, you know, when you're a practicing pharmacist, you, to me, I was focusing a lot more on, on the clinical side of, of things, you know, answering physician questions about different doses, um, any new drugs coming to the market, you're researching because there's usually a patient waiting, um, for these drugs. Um, so, so I was more, um, educated on clinical needs. Um, so when I, I was offered an opportunity to move into administration, um, I was really trying to hold on to both. Like, how do I be a good administrator and be a good, good clinician? And I kind of over the past few years have decided that I have to rely on my pharmacy team to be that clinical expert, as opposed to me being able to keep up on everything. So I more focus now on learning, like, how do you be a good administrator? What is my fiscal responsibility? How do I be a good leader? How do I inspire my team? Um, how do I reduce turnover? Things like that and kind of give up a little bit 
on staying clinically relevant because oncology is so crazy. It changes very quickly. Um, there's so many cool new drugs coming out. Um, and so it, it's, it's more me leaning on other people that I wouldn't have done in the past. So, so that was kind of a, a transition, I think for me. It's hard to give that up. <laughs> yeah. I get embarrassed. I go, I don't know what that drug is for. <laughs> Let me it's Google not- it. No, no, no need for embarrassment, but yes. And what do you love about your job? Oh, I love, I love my job. Um, I like interacting with different people. I like meeting new practices. Um, for example, I was lucky enough to get asked to um, oversee the Michigan practice, which is four doctors. They're very busy. They're right outside of Detroit and, um, meeting them and kind of growing their trust and understanding like what are the different dynamics in each practice has been surprising because I only knew one way which is what I grew up with here in the Zangmeister Center and so um, very different dynamic than than in the other practice so I kind of like how I can take pieces from each group and kind of say oh I what if we tried that here or what if we tried it differently there um, and so that's been really, really exciting. Um, also just understanding, like, how do we stay viable in community oncology has been a focus for me. Like, how do we stay viable as a community practice? And, and it's tough. So really figuring out ways to work with payers, um, employer groups, um, working on keeping our costs down. How do we make sure we, um, are, you know, not overspending on, on things and, and just trying to stay viable has been, um, a really big challenge, but it has been a lot to learn. And I like, I like that part. Well, wonderful. And that leads us into my next question, um, which is what are some of the current challenges you're seeing in the community oncology Mm -hmm. space or the pharmacy community oncology pharmacy space as well? Sure. Yeah. I think there's a lot of challenges. Um, you know, we talked about them for years and, and they come, come around sometimes more strongly than others. So, you know, brown bagging and white bagging, huge issue um, for us, you know, with payers trying to mandate that the script goes to their own PBM pharmacy. Um, Reimbursement issues, you know, every year there's some new Medicare cut, you know, we have sequestration. It went away during the pandemic. Now it's back. How do we deal with that? The retail pharmacy space, um, that's also a challenge. I mean, how do you script capture? You know, if if the PBM owns the, if the payer owns the pharmacy and they direct it straight to their own pharmacy, like a credo, for example, how do we get in there? I mean, how are we able to show, can we <laughs> show that we're the best place to fill the, the prescription? So some of those challenges aren't anything new, um, but they're certainly not going away. Yes. You, do you have any answers to any of them yet? <laughs> no. <laughs> no, do you? No, but we're working <laughs> on it as yeah. I know before as well. So maybe someday we'll both have an answer. To yes. <laughs> That'll be great. And then this past year, which I'm very excited about, you were appointed to the Ohio Board of Pharmacy. So congratulations on that. It's such a great thing, I think, for oncology. What was that process like? Yeah, I was, um, I guess, excited and nervous about getting appointed to the pharmacy board. Um, I was lucky enough to take a seat from um, Josh Cox, who is the pharmacist at Dayton Physicians, and they're an oncology practice. Um, So 
understanding or, or I guess knowing that I think we need oncology representation on the board, especially in private practice. You know, a lot of people don't know what that means, you know, what private practice oncology looks like and some of the challenges we have. So um, I felt pretty strongly that if I got the seat, I could advocate. And I've already kind of felt that way. So for example, um, I, I go to the board meetings um, once a month and there's eight members on the board. Um, they're all appointed and they pretty much work in different settings. So you've got like your retail pharmacy leader, you've got home care, someone from a small institution, a large institution. So it's a kind of a pretty cool, diverse group. Um, one person works in academics, um, is a teacher. So anyway, there was a conversation about charitable pharmacies and donating leftover medication from patients. And so, you know, I'm thinking, well, in our pharmacy, we'd have a patient like who would have medication that's prepackaged, an oncology drug, and I was never able to do anything with it. I just, we just throw it away, which is, it hurts you, yeah. <laughs> it hurts your soul to yeah. do that. And so Ohio's working on legislation to allow um, pharmacist inspected, which means I've looked at it. Yes, I feel like this is a safe drug to give to another person pharmacist inspected drugs to be given to a charitable pharmacy who can then redispense to a patient. And so um, that was exciting to me because I, I kind of chimed in on these oncology patients. Like they were toying with excluding certain cancer drugs because of the, you know, you have to be careful how you handle it. And I was, I was like, if it's prepackaged, you know, we can certainly give it to another patient who could benefit. Um, so I, I feel like those little things are, are ways that I can help oncology patients in the state. That is awesome. Yes. The, the charity pharmacies for sure. Cause you're right. It, it does hurt your soul when you have to throw, <laughs> throw something away that, you know, would be perfectly good for someone. Sure. And there's someone out there who's not getting it because of the cost. Sure. So what is your role? And I know you told a little about it on the board of pharmacy and what does the position entail from you? Okay, sure. Yeah, so I'm still learning that. I got appointed in September. Um, so I'm the newbie on the board um, and they seat me in between like the most tenured people <laughs> so that if I make a mistake, they can just like lean over and whisper, hey, what's wrong? Um, but it's really, it's such an interesting position. So we do um, hearings. So if there's pharmacists who have, for example, diverted drugs, pharmacy technicians who have diverted, we try and help them get into um, rehabilitation and then back to work. So it's a big goal of the pharmacy board is, yes, we recognize that, you know, you made this error for whatever reason in judgment. Um, how do we get you back to work? And so in Ohio, there's um, government supported organization that helps rehabilitate. So it can reduce the cost for the pharmacist and more importantly, the farm techs, because sometimes going into rehab, um, we're getting into those programs is cost prohibitive. So that I had no idea the pharmacy board did. Um, we work on legislation, uh, recommendations made to the governor. So um, one thing we did last month was um, we, decided that this, um, it's called gas station heroin. So now I'm like, your podcast is going to get interesting. <laughs> so there's this drug called tyoneptine. Tyoneptine. Um, it is an approved tricyclic antidepressant in Europe and some other countries. However, in the U S it's being sold in gas stations as gas station heroin. And oh, it's called, boy. yes, it has a strange, like, I don't know if I didn't look at the gas station yet, but 
you know, they have these little names for it. It's in a pink bottle and it's, um, so I guess people are taking like, they start out with, you know, one or two pills a day, but then it, they take more and more and more and it has strong withdrawal symptoms. So we had this emergency meeting to tell the governor, Hey, like we need to take this off the shelves. And so it was really interesting to hear like the um, clinical side of it, like what is this drug used for and where, and why is it not approved in the US? And, you know, maybe it will be at some point, but um, so then letters will go. So he, yes, he agreed with that. The governor agreed with our recommendation. And so now they'll send out um, inspectors to these gas stations and stuff to make sure they pull it from their shelves. And so that was something cool. I'm like, what? <laughs> It's crazy. Yes. Yeah. Yeah. So that kind of stuff. And then more generally, you know, um, right now there's, um, there's a lot of talk in Ohio about pharmacist workload okay. and, um, mandatory breaks. Um, so we're requesting that pharmacists kind of weigh in and send us information about what they, what they want. And so we're working on legislation around, um, mandatory breaks, mandatory staffing, reducing required quotas, um, and that, that more leans into your traditional, like Walgreens, CVS, those settings, not as much like an oncology dispensary, like probably most of the ENCODA membership, but I didn't realize with as many years being out of retail that that kind of stuff was happening. And so if a pharmacist is in CVS and say their quota for the day is 300 scripts or something, and they don't meet that they don't get their bonus. And so it really like incentivizes pharmacists to overwork themselves. And you know, what happens then is they burn out, they leave the profession, we're more short staffed. So, um, so that kind of stuff is, is I'm pretty passionate about too, because I've seen my colleagues in retail just within two or three years, their burnout. So yeah. um, I do think too, you know, having pharmacists work in private practice, like most of ENCODA's membership is, is like a huge opportunity for a pharmacist. You know, I didn't realize that until I kind of see, saw other types of practice, like how retail is now. And I'm like, I will never no. ever go back to that. And so the more that we can do to give pharmacists opportunities um, to get these kinds of jobs like you have, or I have, I think really helps, helps our profession. So Absolutely. I, it's been a really long time since I worked in regular retail, but I did it for seven years and I, can oh, wow. seven years was enough. Um, and those were was it like, like that Brit or ginger was well, it like crazy. It was, no? I worked for, I can hope I say Publix. Um, so they were a little bit better, I think, than your average retail okay. pharmacy, but it still was at that time. And they've changed now, um, was a 12 hour work day with no lunch break. So, you know, like like you're, you're going to the back cabinet in the pharmacy, like trying to shovel food in your mouth really quickly. And sure. it just, I think it is, it was burnout quickly for sure. Yeah, I know it's only gotten worse from what I've heard from people. So I'm glad you're advocating for our, our retail friends because they need it. Yeah. Um, and then are there issues that the Ohio Board of Pharmacy is dealing with that we should be aware of in the oncology space? And I'm going to combine that. I had another question because I know um, your board has been in the news often in recent years regarding PBMs. Yes. So along with that, I'd be interested to hear what, what's kind of going on or taking place in your state with PBMs. 
Sure. Um, so Ohio has kind of led, or at least has gotten press around um, PBM abuses and how do we control that on the state level. And, um, you know, I, I, I've tried or, you know, there's been a lot of legislation on the federal level around this, but we haven't seen a lot of movement. So it is nice to hear or see that maybe we can make movement at the state level um, on, you know, sort of uncovering what PBM abuses are, and then can we get legislation in place to kind of stop that? Um, I don't know if we can or <laughs> if that's possible because I feel that the PBMs have a deep pocket um, and they, you know, will certainly support legislation. So um, there have been some bills about PBM transparency. There have been bills around um, time to dispense. So, you know, timeliness around dispensing. So can a PBM pharmacy effectively get a cancer drug to a patient quickly? Um, knowing that practices like ours can um, because we're you know integrated with the physicians. Um, we don't have to send an email or a voicemail to someone at the practice to, to confirm a prescription dosing. You know, it's all a medic, I guess medically integrated is the right word for it. Um, everyone's working onto the same system and can quickly message the physician back and forth. So um, yeah, I think on the state level, if, if there's anything I'm going to suggest, or maybe it's my New Year's resolution, is to find out how we can advocate at the state level for our patients and for our types of practice. And it's really just understanding it, you know, meeting people who, who are lobbyists, who need someone to speak on behalf of the practice is kind of where I'm starting, mm -hmm. um, as well as understanding like what, what bills are getting put into legislation, what chances do we have of them um, passing. So recently um, I was asked to present about um, copay accumulators. Okay. And so I, I got up in front of the, yeah, the Senate um, oh. health committee <laughs> and, you know, preached about how copay accumulators hurt patients. Um, and it was interesting because the health committee um, leader, he said, how does this affect insurance companies? Well, the insurance company have to spend more money. And I said, no. And he said, okay. <laughs> like, you know, it was a dismissive, okay. And um, so, so it really made me think, okay, who is driving this? Like who is in the pocket of the legislator and how do we either work with them because I do think there's a win-win like to mm -hmm. me the insurance company isn't spending more money the patient's simply getting assistance from the manufacturer or a, from a um a foundation which is nonprofit donated um I I don't know the answer to that yet but I think it's it's getting them to understand sort of the patient journey and and I don't have answers for how to make that happen. Um, getting them to your practices, I think would be great. Um, showing them what we do and why it's important that we're included in, in sort of these decisions. So. Yes, for sure. A, a long, a long road ahead. I think yeah. you know, you have done personally great, great work in that space. 
And then this is a question that actually comes from our legislative affairs coordinator. Mm-hmm. Uh, but he he had, how do state elections impact the support that the Board of Pharmacy receives? And is there a grassroots advocacy effort from members of the state pharmacy to impact change at the legislative level? Oh, that's a great question. Um, yeah, <laughs> so- Legislative affairs and I'm not. <laughs> <laughs> um, yeah, it's really interesting. So I, like I said, I've only been there for a few months. And so I heard that when it gets closer to election time, you know, there's a lot more buzz around who's going to potentially be elected uh, into the these different positions. So we report to the governor, and I'm not sure if that's the same in every state or not, but, um, you know, d- he decides what our budget is. <laughs> So we kind of want him to like us yeah. Um, or at least find that we're doing good work. And so I think it, it definitely impacts kind of what we can do. So I know in years where we haven't had a governor who sort of supports the pharmacy board or finds as much value that there's, it's difficult to get funding for your, for your resources. And so This year, we've added inspectors to um, the state, so they go out and and make sure the practice of pharmacy is appropriate. Um, And so we do have um, a good relationship with the governor through our executive director. Um, It seems like we're being well supported. So another interesting thing that you guys might want to know is that um, the pharmacy board in Ohio oversees the medical marijuana um, dispensary. Okay. Yeah, that's super fun. We have lots of fun things going on. We've got gas station heroin. (laughs) Yes. So you you thought it would be boring. I did. (laughs) No, it's super interesting. Um, Yeah, I I was excited about that because personally feel that um, medical marijuana has a great place in cancer patients, um, you know, treatment paradigm, whether it be throughout their, you know, chemotherapy or at end of life, or um, generally speaking, um, you know, it, it can be very useful for our patients, um, reduced opioid use and um, increased uh, quality of life. So, so yeah, it's been interesting to learn about how well regulated it is in Ohio. Um, you know, we talk about um, different dosage forms mm-hmm. and approve whether they're allowed to be marketed that way. So for example, a company wanted to have a medical marijuana suppository. Um, We talked about whether we thought that was okay and what was the science behind it. Um, There's different types of like um, vapes and and things. Um, So we talk through whether we feel that that dosage form should be added or allowed. Um, So yeah, it's really interesting, you know, to see. And so do you have like expert I won't say witnesses because it's not, yeah. true, but like presenters or yeah. like come and present the case for different. Yeah. Oh. yeah. They'll have like, um, they had a scientist come in and speak about the, that particular dosage form. I think it was a suppository. Um, and she reviewed like the pharmacokinetics of it, which I need her to just really say, it doesn't work or not. <laughs> uh, um, and that was interesting to see. And, and, you know, of course, in these types of situations, like if the um, dispensary wants this to come to fruit, you know, wants to be able to, to sell it, then on their side, they're going to have the more positive presenter, you know, so it's just interesting to see how 
um, and who they decide to to allow to present. So it is kind of like you're a judge now. So it is. It's really cool. I get to sit on the jury. Yes, it's very cool. And do you have recommendations for our members who may want to become more involved with their respective state boards of pharmacy? Oh, sure. Yeah, I had no idea that this was something I would want to do. Um, I kind of felt like I got uh, voluntold to do it. <laughs> so, um, I, but I think it's fun. And so one first thing is, is your employer supportive? Does your employer feel that you doing this is beneficial? And if not, will they let you have time off to do it and you want to do it on your own? So those are a couple first questions that I would, that I would start with. Um, I was lucky that my employer was supportive and, and I did sell, Hey, this, this will impact our practice. This is, this is something that will impact what we're allowed to do and not allowed to do. So, so they were supportive. So I was thankful for that. Um, and I, I of course pitched my case too. (laughs) I didn't just tell them what I was doing. So anyway, um, yeah, I, I also think like starting with um, uh, reading any kind of information that you can. So Ohio sends out like a monthly e-blast. It's actually more than more often than that. It's like maybe twice a month and it'll have like updates on the meetings and what's happening. And so if you have any issues that are coming up that you're interested in, then attend the board meeting. Um, we broadcast virtually so you can attend it virtually. Um, if they ever ask for comments on something, so pharmacist workload survey, there's emails that have gone out to all the pharmacists in Ohio, reply to those, give your feedback because we read them all. We read every single thing that comes in. Um, if there's a particular area you're interested in, um, legislative or, um, you know, rules or medical marijuana or something like that, you know, you can get on committees to, um, give your feedback and, you know, eventually then ask for a seat on the board. So when the seat came open, they basically say, Hey, we've got a seat open and then you apply. Um, and so I also called some, some friends or some people that I knew who were in oncology, um, that had been at the board before and things like that to kind of give me, (laughs) give me a referral. Um, so yeah, I mean, if you have someone, meet your board members, meet your board members and, you know, tell them you want to be on the board. And, and I'm sure that there is a pathway to that. Cause I don't think there's that many people who are <laughs> standing in line <laughs> to do these types of things. But if you're at all interested, there definitely is an easy way. might take a little bit of time, but there's definitely an easy way to get, a, to get a board seat or to definitely give your own feedback on what's important to you. Does your board have any pharmacy technicians? I know we've kind of discovered a few boards the nation have farm techs now. No, but we need that. We certainly need that because um, techs in Ohio have to be registered. And a lot of the the stuff we talk about relates to a tech. And so I think, well, none of us are techs, right? We've just had techs report to us or we've worked side by side with them. And so I believe that we should have pharmacy techs on on our board. I think that they could give insight that we don't know about, that we don't understand. Um, I'll give an example. We had a situation where, you know, the, the pharmacist checked a medication, the tech bagged it, and it was the wrong medication that the patient received, um, unfortunately. And so in that situation, I know what the pharmacist is supposed to do, but I really don't know what, what the tech is supposed to do. I mean, I kind of do. So I'm just wondering if we had a tech involved on the board who could have given her insight 
would that have helped us all understand it better? So yes, I think I think we should have text on boards. And for boards that have text, if you if you're the membership can get a seat as a tech and their employer supports that, I think that would help greatly. Yes, I love to see that they're being added and hopefully it continues to mm-hmm. increase. Sure. So we call this podcast the PQI podcast to bring awareness to ENCODA's positive quality intervention resource. What value do you see in the PQIs? Oh, yeah, that's great. Um, The PQIs is super important. I mean, you know, I feel like we practice pharmacy for however long we practice pharmacy. I think we've kind of probably around the same time um, graduated pharmacy school. So it's double digits, right? and we're still trying to prove ourselves. Um, where, what's our place in in the physician practice? Whether you have a licensed pharmacy, retail pharmacy, or not, you know what value do we bring to these organizations, and how do we show that we're worth it? Um, you know, a lot of times I hear, "Well, adding a pharmacist costs a lot of money." Okay, true, but how how much does that save you? in the end and how do we make a list of things that we can bring to the practice that shows financial value. Um, So I think um, having pharmacist intervention and pharmacy technician intervention um, absolutely brings value to the practice. I I think the challenge is quantifying that. Quantifying it and then saying we need more. More pharmacists, more pharmacy technicians, you know, I can help this physician manage this patient pretty much I mean, pretty well on my own as a pharmacist, of course, the one who's clinic who knows stuff about clinical things, <laughs> um, you know, and the physician can then see two more patients, like kind of thinking about it uh, in that, in that way. And, and I love the way ENCODA has brought together, you know, physicians, pharmacists, nurses, different members of that team to kind of take care of the whole patient. I think that's something um, we need to work more on and really engaging all the different um, healthcare professionals together um, and then showing the value back to the, to the organization. For sure. Thank you. And then I have one final fun question for you. I don't know if it gets any more fun than gas station heroin. (laughs) (laughs) So if you could have dinner with anyone living or in history, who would it be and why? Well, I guess it's like three questions in a question. And then what would be on the menu? So what would you have to eat? Oh, this is fun. <laughs> oh man, this is hard. I anyone who I who I is alive or not alive. It doesn't have to be pharmacy related, right? No, no, it can be okay. So I don't know. <laughs> yeah, okay. So I'm gonna say. So my favorite band is Fleetwood Mac, which I must, I'm an old soul, I think. And Stevie Nicks is my favorite singer of all time. And I tried to name my daughter, Sarah, Stevie, but I got shot down by my husband. I know. So we have a beautiful daughter named Sarah, but so I would take Stevie Nicks out to eat. I would want her to tell me all about her life and her um, love affair with with Lindsay Buckingham and the band dynamics and all that fun. Oh, it'd be like, just give me some popcorn. Um, <laughs> but I wouldn't want to eat popcorn if I was going to eat. I'd probably eat seafood. I love seafood and I live in Ohio, so we don't get a lot of good seafood. So seafood, maybe a, a little cocktail and um, just listen to her. Tell me all of the stories about when they were young. 
sounds like a great dinner. Again, yeah. I'm for sure. Yes. And you could come, come see me in Florida and then we'll have seafood. Yes. Time. Yes. You can host us. See, I will. It's perfect. That'd be fun. Um, but thank you so much, Christine, for joining us on the podcast today. You have been lovely and it was a pleasure to catch up and thank you for all you're doing for your practice and for patients. Thank you. Thanks so much for all that ENCODA does as well for advocating for, for our profession and, and community oncology. And it, it really is a wonderful organization. And um, thanks a bunch for having me on. Thank you. I hope you enjoyed my conversation with Christine. You can find the podcast anywhere you listen to podcasts and on ENCODA.org. That's ncoda.org. You can also find us on Instagram at the PQI podcast. We hope you tune in next week for another edition of the PQI podcast. Thanks, everybody.